something in common. It was one of those beautiful one day, perfect the next sort of days that Brisbane does so well and, of course, so often. Yet for the young woman setting out for South Bank Park, it was so much more. The dawn light had hardly broken when she had stood at her bedroom window in the small unit in Moray Street. She shared with her elder sister Amy. She wanted to check out the weather in order to decide what to wear. Such a novelty. The tree-lined streets boasted a sign saying it had been voted the best street in Brisbane in 1995. Melanie hadn't seen enough of Brisbane to agree, just knew she was very happy to live there. The view from the balcony over the Brisbane River still fascinated her, and she had spent much of the day before just watching the boats that endlessly cruised past. But there were greater attractions ahead for today. And as soon as Amy had gone to work, Melanie had hurried to the bathroom to shower and fix her hair. She still took delight in this simple action and stood looking at herself, posing, trying styles this way and that. Keep it short and simple, had been Mother's motto. But that was a long time ago, and Mother had not been in her twenties so did not know the importance young women put on their appearance these days. Not that Melanie knew much either, but she had listened carefully when out in the town, or on those rare days when she had accompanied Amy shopping, and been fascinated by what she had heard as interplay between young girls. Oh, I like the colour of your hair! Like, did you use that Titian bond I told you about? No, this is autumn harvest. I did think I would be brave and kind of like use the vegetable purple manganese, but like I just chickened out. Well, maybe she would try the manganese, whatever that was, later, much later, when all other excitements had waned. But right now, she was content with the natural chestnut that crowned her face with curls. She stared at herself intently. She was beginning to think she was pretty, reasonably so anyway. This morning there was a flush to her cheeks she hadn't noticed before. Should she wear makeup, a light lipstick perhaps, and a touch of mascara? Suddenly being twenty was such fun. Morning, Melanie. You're out early this morning. Even without turning, the young girl recognized the voice of Harold O'Callaghan, the caretaker of the building. He had a distinctive voice with just a hint of an Irish lilt. She had spent many hours listening to his reminiscences of his life as a young man, first as a hobo in America and later a swagman on the Australian roads. It had been such a joy to be able to look into his craggy old face and see his kindly twinkling eyes. Good morning, Harold. Yes, isn't it a beautiful morning? Indeed it is, darling. And tell me, is this your big day? Indeed it is, she said in gleeful mimicry, and thank you for remembering. She began the descent down towards the Howard Smith wharves in a flurry of excitement, and while feeling the joy, could also feel a spasm of anticipation flow through her. In all her long, lonely dreams and fantasies, she had never imagined anything like this, and was still unsure she was doing the right thing, only knew it felt right. 
Even when arranging the meeting, she had felt both some constraints and compulsions, and that had not diminished. Anyway, it was too late now. Arrangements had been made, and Mrs. Dawson was expecting her. Melanie had purposefully left early, so that she could enjoy the walk along the floating river path without the need to hurry. That was the beauty of living at New Farm. She could take the river walk right into the city, enjoying both the river and the cityscape at the same time. Not that she had done it ever before, but that was one of the things that made this day so special. She was surprised to find it was a busy thoroughfare, as walkers and joggers intermixed with the bike riders. No doubt they were oblivious to the enchantment around them. But she took in every sight, marvelling at the tranquillity on her side of the river, compared to the bustle of the city on the other side. The old wharves intrigued her with their sense of history and hint of depression, contrasting so avidly against the restaurants set up for night-time viewing of the illuminated story bridge, and pavement cafes ready for breakfast meetings, and beyond the super-high rise of the residential towers that fringed the city. She stood for a moment to admire the classic paddle steamer, Kookaburra Queen, waiting for her noonday passengers at the Eagle Farm Ferry. One day, she thought, I'll do the river trip in style and book lunch on the Queen. It looked expensive, so it was no more than a dream at the moment. But as she now knew, dreams could come true. Tomorrow she would have to begin job hunting, but today was her own, and she could dream dreams of things she would do in all the tomorrows and all the thereafters. She turned and began the ascent up the wide steps and across the tarmac walkways to the main road and the bustle of workers hurrying to their nine-to-five. She caught her breath as she saw before her the age-old mangrove tree that was part of the small copse at the widow's memorial. She manoeuvred the busy road and stood before the inscription. Mother had read it to her years ago, of course, but, well... It wasn't the same as reading it yourself. She thought of the soldiers' sad plight so many decades before, their loneliness and fear, being disabled and dying so far from home. But in spite of herself, her compassion was short-lived. After all, it had been a long time ago, and she hadn't known any of them or their families. But she had known Mother, and even though that memory was also very distant, she savoured a few precious moments, remembering her soft voice and the comfort of her arms around her as they moved through the busy streets. She gave herself time to think back on those childhood happy moments. The trips to the beach, playing with her sisters, visits to grandparents. Sadly, those good times had lasted so briefly, and since then, well, the memories hadn't been happy. In fact, for the last ten years she had lived her life as if in a vacuum. A dark, lonely place that, oh dear God, she hoped she would never return. Melanie gave herself a quick shake to come back into the present. Continuing on up the slight incline towards the Queen Street Mall, 
she could hear odd interludes of music from the buskers, who were plying their trade for the shoppers. The warm weather and school holidays had encouraged many young adolescents out onto the sidewalk, the laziness of the day encouraging a festive air that mingled with the integrated miscellanies of well-known chart-stoppers wafting through the air. Crossing Victoria Bridge, she felt a flutter of excitement as the cultural centre came into view, with its theatres and museums scattered between landscape gardens. Turning into a walkway, she now began to retrace her steps on the other side of the river, gazing back at the city she had just left. Skyscrapers towered towards the sky, and from the sight of the many cranes dotted around, there were many more underway. The city was on the move. A shot of fear suddenly lurched through Melanie. The visit with Mrs. Dawson was drawing closer. She must think. It was so important to say the right things. Following the directions Amy had given her, she made her way back along the river to South Bank Park before diverting to the unbelievable crimson canopy of the long Bougainvillea walk. She almost cried with delight at the explosion of magenta as bush after bush wound its tentacles around the support wires to form the arc of flowers that meandered through the parkland. Looking up, she could see the azure sky behind, perforated by only the smallest froth of white clouds and golden sun, while before her the emerald grass served as backdrop for scarlet petunias tumbling over the deep brown earth. Melanie could barely contain the richness of the palette before her. One day soon she must return with a camera and capture the beauty on celluloid, so that even in her room she could relive this wonderful scene. That was the wonder of it. It would still be there. Or would it? Once again a chill of fear swept through her. Dear God, no, no, no! Shaking the mood as best she could, she looked at her watch as she turned off the path onto the shade of a grove of tropical ferns, and for a brief moment she felt the cool, brisk breeze of the day without sunshine. Knowing she was still early, she sat down on one of the park benches to gather her thoughts. The scene around her was still lovely, but different. The interchange of multi-verdant greens was lush and moist, like tears. The thought was an involuntary one, and the young girl brushed at her cheek as she felt the tears form, knowing it was not sadness that had brought them, but happiness. Yet only a few months ago, weeks ago, it had been different, so very different, and she had Mrs. Dawson to thank for that. Well, no, not Mrs. Dawson, and now the tears were indeed sad ones. And now, indeed, the tears were sad ones. What games of chance the vagaries of life were that could make the same event so different for each player? With wisdom far beyond her years, Melanie mused on these factors, letting her thoughts drift back over her life. A life she had hated for ten years. It had all seemed so unfair. Why? Why me? How many times had she said that to herself, to Amy, and, in those early days, to her mother, indeed to any who would listen? 
With a start, she realized she had sat longer than intended in the little alcove and quickly reached into her bag for a mirror and comb. Quickly refreshing herself, she smoothed her dress down, took a deep breath and moved on to her quest. The Nepalese house. She came upon it unexpectedly and again had to stop momentarily to take it all in. A leftover exhibition piece from the long-forgotten Expo 88. It had stood time well and managed to look both right and wrong in the tropical Queensland backdrop. There was one lone person sitting inside, a grey-haired woman, possibly in her mid or maybe late seventies, neatly dressed, with arms folded in her lap as if waiting for someone. Mrs. Dawson, Melanie's voice was purposefully soft, so as not to startle the old woman. Melanie, the woman turned towards her, and she was gratified to see a welcoming smile come onto the creased features. Oh, how lovely you are! Young and old stared at each other formally, for no more than a moment. Then, as if by mutual instinct, they drew together and embraced. A surge of emotion streamed through the young girl, which she felt replicated through the other. Both pulled away with tears moist on their cheeks. Gently, oh so gently, the older woman brushed Melanie's away, looking intently into the young girl's beautiful eyes. My dear, don't cry. Let's both be happy, for Justin's sake. Rather than compose them both, the words brought on more sobs, and again they hugged. Then, when emotion was finally spent, they pulled away and seated themselves on the stiff wooden seating. Thank you for meeting me here. This was Justin's favorite place. We would meet here for lunch when we were both working in the city. It had such wonderful memories for him from the time he worked on the gardens for the Expo Festival. Let me see, that would have been... A furrow came on Mrs. Dawson's face as she began her calculations. 1988, 30 years ago. The old lady nodded. Goodness, yes, it must be. Then you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. Oh, I've heard about it. They say it put Brisbane on the world map. Yes, I believe it did. And you are what? Twenty? Twenty-two now? About the same age as Justin back then. The woman smiled. He had just left university and planned to join the Navy that year. But his father insisted he try a season working first before tying himself up for three years or more. The old lady was looking distantly at the past now, in her own reverie. He took it well, said if he couldn't get out to see the world, he would work where the world came to him. She smiled. He so loved it here. He would come home at night and tell us of all his experiences during the day. The pageants, the parades, it was so exciting. Did he go into the Navy afterwards? Oh, yes. 
He was insatiable for adventures and traveling. For a good many years, he traveled everywhere, saw so many sights. She broke off, suddenly overcome with emotion, before adding, One day I must show you the postcard he sent from all the ports. Then you, well, one day no doubt you can see them for yourself. Yes, thank you. Melanie thought of the life ahead of her, and in spite of herself knew that the familiar pleasure of anticipation of her future was surging through her. Oh, life was fun! As if aware of these thoughts, Mrs. Dawson stood up. Would you like to walk a while? You haven't been here before, have you? Melanie shook her head. No, not really. Then she nodded. Oh, yes, that would be nice. Though this is a really pretty place. She stood at the entrance of the pagoda, admiring the intricate carvings. Was this part of Expo too? Oh, indeed it was. Mrs. Dawson joined her, and like Melanie fingered the intricate woodwork, allowing her fingers to trace the delicate carvings. It was two stories back then, and known as the Nepal Pagoda. She reached into her bag and pulled out a large, soft, covered book. Look, I've brought the old souvenir program we used back then. Have you seen one before? Melanie shook her head. Um, no, I... Before she could say anything more, her companion laughed nervously. Oh, I'm sorry, my dear. That was thoughtless of me. Look, see, this is where we are. She turned the page to a map and pointed to a diagram. Looking towards the southern end, she said, The Queensland Pavilion was right here. She laughed gaily. So popular. Of all things, mostly with Queenslanders. And look, over there was the Australian Pavilion, featuring the tale of the Dreamtime and the Rainbow Serpent. Her voice trailed off. It was such a happy time for locals and tourists alike. She began to walk through the centre, and still her memories roamed free. You know, there was a street running right through the exhibition, and we had two grand parades every day, the midday and the evening one. Both were completely different, and people used to argue as to which one was best, or the most spectacular. Such a silly and fun thing to argue about. Brisbane became famous for its street performers, the living statues. The ones that are so popular now, they had never been seen before, Expo. We had people on stilts, dressed like butterflies, and music everywhere. Justin even worked occasionally as a strolling minstrel, playing his ukulele. He, he was really quite good. The old lady stopped suddenly aware that she had begun talking to herself. I'm so sorry. It's bittersweet for me to come here. So many good memories. He was an only child and my husband, his father, had died. So we were very close. Oh, please, I'd love to hear more, Melanie assured her. Mrs. Dawson smiled. You must come and see his photographs. 
He collected two huge scrapbooks. She pointed to the river. Every evening the cubes would float on the river. Did, did you say cubes? Melanie queried, laughing, and she was joined by her companion. Indeed they were. Huge shapes of pyramids, boxes, rectangles, made out of fine wood, supports, with lanterns inside. Dozens of them would be lit at night and float out there. Melanie looked to where she was pointing, trying to visualize the scene described before her. It must have been lovely, she said. Oh, yes, it was. Mrs. Dawson took her arm comfortably, and they began to stroll along the river esplanade. Suddenly, Melanie gasped with delight. Was this there, then? A small, perfect lagoon had just come into view, surrounded by a golden beach and tropical rock pools. Children were playing as if on a seaside beach, paddling, sailing boats, making sandcastles. They shrieked in excited play, bringing a smile to both women's faces. Oh, no, this came much later, said Mrs. Dawson. But we had an aquapark. Look, see here. Once again she turned to the book at the attractions that had thrilled people in the same place nearly three decades before. You have to remember, all that was built as a temporary exhibit only. The festival lasted for just six months. There was a mischievous tone in her voice. And you know what? The rest of the world couldn't understand it because we held the festival in our winter. We were so confident of good weather. She shook her head, almost disbelieving her own admission. Winter! And the weather was perfect the entire six months. They had moved on a short way and were both drawn to a seat situated in a shady alcove. I was lucky enough to be a hostess. To come here almost every day. I also had a season pass and would come and bring a picnic lunch that we could share. Of course, the view across the river was different then. Most of the high-rise buildings have been built since then. But, funnily enough, we came here just a day or two before her voice faltered. Before Justin died. She looked at Melanie and she had tears in her eyes. Did they tell you how... No, no, it doesn't matter. Melanie was quick to answer. The old lady went on speaking as if she hadn't heard her. Her voice was small. It was... it was his fiftieth birthday. He wanted to celebrate it here, in the parklands, have a barbecue with his old friends from Expo days. But his partner, Tanya, wanted something more grand... She hired a hall, the reception room at our local hotel. They sent out a guest list, but, well, somehow it got out of hand. The old lady's voice slowed down to an almost inaudible whisper. We hadn't even thought hire any security, and gate crashers got in. They were drunk, of course. Began smashing up everything within range. Used beer bottles as weapons. Justin was knifed in the chest, and even though bleeding profusely, 
the rabble wouldn't let the ambulance get to treat him. The old woman broke down, and aware of these emotions turned to her again. I I'm sorry, my dear, I mustn't make you feel guilty. You have so much to look forward to, and I sincerely hope you have a long and happy life. Her voice softened yet again. It must have been dreadful for you, you poor, you poor darling girl. She squeezed Melanie's hand. Would you mind telling me a little? It would help so much for me to get over the pain of losing him. Would you mind? Melanie knew that this was what the meeting was really about, and nodded her head. I don't mind, but to be honest with all this around me, it's as if it all happened in another life. She looked towards the gardens as a family strolled by the two young children laughing and playing with a ball, the baby in his stroller sucking contentedly on a bottle, everyone enjoying the family outing. It, it was a car accident, wasn't it? Mrs. Dawson asked tentatively. Yes, I was twelve. I had two older sisters, Amy and Lucy. We were on our way for a family visit to my grandmother, who lives in Roma. I guess my father was tired from the long drive. He and mother were arguing. They did that a lot. Always had. I only remember that as we came over a slight hill, we saw a truck coming towards us on the wrong side of the road. Daddy didn't have time to get out of its way, and we smashed head on. Melanie knew she sounded dispassionate in her recounting, but that was how she felt. Everyone was wearing a seat belt but me. I was sitting in the middle, where there was no seat belt. Illegal, of course. In some freak way, they had all escaped injury except her. Oh, yes, a few cuts and bruises. Lucy had a dislocated shoulder that healed in a few weeks. Amy, a tooth knocked out. Even her mother and father had only experienced minor problems, physically, that is, for the trauma and guilt had lasted a long, long time. So much so, in fact, that the marriage had suffered beyond control, and they had divorced a few years later. Melanie recounted all this to the stranger, without the need to add the final horror. How long were you in hospital? Mrs. Dawson's voice was gentle, but probing. It seemed that she was insistent to know all the details. Melanie took a deep breath. She was entitled. Well, I have just a memory of being in and out for years. One operation after another... I had gone straight through the windscreen and engaged multiple injuries. Most of my bones had broken, and although I was told that being young they, they would eventually recover, well, of course they did, though it took a long time. That simple statement underplayed the years of pain and rehabilitation, learning to walk again. But yes, she had recovered. One of my main problems, though, was that I had encountered enormous whiplash, which meant wearing a neck brace for years. 
So even when other limbs had begun to grow and straighten, there had been no sports or dancing or indeed any real fun things for the pubescent young girl. But even that would have been bearable if it had not been for the black, awesome chasm of nothingness. She didn't feel she had to tell Mrs. Dawson about that, but the old lady persisted, needful of the admonition of despair. When, when did you realize that, that I was going to be blind for life? Melanie finished the sentence for her. Were you given no hope? Your parents, surely, they would have followed any opportunity. Yes, oh yes, I had many operations. In some ways that had been the most cruel blow of all. Indeed it had. The constant hopes built up and then crushed by the realization that the operation was a failure. My parents never really got over it, blaming each other and eventually divorced. Being teenagers, my sisters went with Dad, but because of my injuries and then disability, he said he couldn't look after me and work, so I went with Mum at first. But she never recovered from the accident properly. She was always nervous in traffic and had recurring nightmares and headaches and finished up with an entire emotional breakdown. She died of pneumonia a few years ago, so I went into Hainsworth, a halfway house, until I was able to live with Amy. My poor dear, Mrs. Dawson's arms were around her. You suffered so much. If it was the Lord's good grace that my Justin had to go, then I thank him that his eyes, his dear sweet eyes, went to someone as deserving as you. I almost didn't take the opportunity, Melanie admitted. I had been told of a new operation that was still in its experimental stage, but was also told that the chances of success were little more than 50%, even in a healthy person. And in my case, I had it explained that I was still on so much medication that there would be a conflict of treatments. So at first, I refused to try. But then Dr. McCullum, my, my ophthalmic surgeon, convinced me that with me being totally blind, I had little to lose. Well, she smiled grimly, I was told there may, there may be quite a lot of pain, but I was used to that. The ophthalmologist was a kindly man, but although encouraging her to try any conceivable effort to regain sight, had felt it in his duty to warn her of all the risk. It is still imperative for you to come to me regularly, Melanie, so that I can keep an up-to-date record of your physical records. We need to be sure that you are in optimum health and clear of medications before we even consider a delicate operation like this. Rejection is always a risk, so we need to optimize our chances. Only the young girl knew what would be expected of her. To be clear of all medications sounded easy enough, but the pain in her limbs was often excruciating, and she knew how even with great tenacity of spirit, sometimes 
she was dependent on the painkillers. She had succumbed to blood tests, x-rays and an EKI and classes in pain management, taking in every word from the surgeon gravely. The biggest risk, like last time, is a risk of infection after the operation. Since the cornea has no blood vessels, it takes longer to heal than would a cut on the skin. We will give you antibiotic prophylaxis, antibiotic eye drops, but as you know from experience, there are no guarantees. However, in your instance, we know the rest of the eye is healthy, so, well, now you will have as good a chance as any. All we have to do is wait. Melanie stopped abruptly, aware that Mrs. Dawson had taken a sudden intake of breath. Both knew what the doctor had implied by waiting. She was aware of the old lady's fingers squeezing her hand. Well, my dear, thanks to the fates, you didn't have to wait long. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean... Melanie stammered, suddenly aware of the implications of her words. There, there, hush. Mrs. Dawson was quick to respond to the girl's anguish. I understand. Melanie bit her lip. You see, he insisted I understand that the graft could fail for absolutely no reason, weeks, months, well, even years later. Melanie looked around her. That's why, ever since the operation, which is nearly three months ago, I've barely allowed myself to sleep. I'm so scared that all this... Her arms swept out to embrace everything around her. All this may disappear one day, and I'll be back in that dark, black world once more. My dear, my dear, that won't happen. My Justin wouldn't be that cruel. It was a foolish statement. After all, the live tissue from a dead son barely had a mind of its own. Yet, strangely, the remark pacified the young girl. Ever since she had met her donor's mother just a few hours ago, she had felt that her eyes, now her most precious possession, would be safe. A feeling of calm began to seep through her. She really would have a life of sight. Time to take in, enjoy all the wonders she had been glimpsing over the last few weeks, to see the sights that Justin had seen. Mrs. Dawson looked at her companion with hesitation. There was a ring of uncertainty in her voice as she faltered her suggestion. Melanie, my, my dear girl, when I first requested this meeting, I was warned against it. People told me I would resent you being bonded to me in this grim fashion. And yes, I had my doubts. In fact, I had decided that if I didn't like you, that I would invest some excuse for leaving early. She looked at her watch and laughed gaily. <laughs> and look, here it is, three o'clock, and I feel as if I've known you forever. In fact, she smiled a strange, twisted smile. While you were describing that dreadful operation, I had the strangest feeling that I wished I had been with you at that time to support you, give you words of comfort as a, as a grandmother would. 
She stopped for a moment as they both took in the real effect of her words. Of course, that could, would never have happened, because it was only because of her son's death that Melanie was able to have the operation in the first place. But Melanie felt a rush of warmth. She had felt it too, a strange bond that went further than this shared, strange... She put her arm out, aware of the frailty of the older woman. Thank you, Mrs. Dawson. I feel it too. I guess I've been so involved with operations and my disabilities over the last few years. I never thought of the loss of parents as well, especially a mother. She felt a sudden feeling of guilt. Well, to be honest, my Aunt Sophia has been wonderful. But she had four children of her own to worry about, and I always felt guilty when she made rushed visits to see me. It always seemed the nicer people were to me, the more I owed them, being a burden, I mean. No, no, the older woman patted her hand. It must have been so exciting that first moment when the bandages were removed. Oh, Mrs. Dawson, you have no idea. I was so frightened, so worried, I barely had the nerve to open my eyes. And what was the first thing you saw? Dr. McCallum had placed a bowl of flowers. Gerberous, I believe they were. The most vivid daisies in the most vivid hues. And beside it, I had asked for a photograph of my mother. It was taken... She paused. It was taken the morning we left for Grandma's, the day of the accident. She didn't add that it was also the last day she had seen herself in a mirror. A twelve-year-old girl, on the brink of her teen years, that had been lost to darkness. Since then the wonder of sight had taken over every other thought or emotion. In fact, it had been a week later when she had returned to the hospital for a check-up with Dr. McCallum that she had been given reason to change her thinking. She had been walking along the corridor to his rooms when a young girl had come out, being led by her mother. The young girl had looked frightened, lonely, so much like herself at that age. Melanie had wanted to hug her, tell her to have faith that everything would work out right, Thankfully, good sense had stopped her. Maybe she was one of the lucky ones. Not everyone's operation had the rainbow at the end of it. She had passed the check-up with flying colours, but before leaving had asked Dr. McCullum to see if it was possible to meet up with the donor's family. Amy had said she thought it ghoulish. That's sick, Melanie. Sick! If I was you, I wouldn't want to even think where my sight had come from. Just be glad you've got it. I, I just so wanted to thank them, she had said. I need to try to absorb some of their pain of loss and, and let them know how much I appreciate their gesture. And so here I am, she said with yet another squeeze of Mrs. Dawson's hand. And thank you, Melanie, for being such a lovely young woman. They walked arm in arm amiably down towards the ferry. I'll catch the 3.30 back to Sydney Street, Mrs. Dawson said, as they looked at the timetable. Yes, I'll do the same. Melanie suddenly realised she had no idea where the old lady lived. 
On impulse she asked, "'Do you live in Moray Street?' Mrs. Dawson looked surprised. "'Why, yes, I thought you knew. I'm very close to you, actually. Mine is the little cottage opposite the retirement home.' She smiled ruefully. "'In fact, I have my name on their list. It won't be long before I'll need help.' Her hands went up to her thick-rimmed spectacles. "'It's ironic, I know, but apart from all my other ailments, I have cataracts and find it difficult to shop,' she gave a shrug. "'I'm due to have them removed as soon as I can arrange for blue nurses to come and help.' She hesitated a moment, then looked at Melanie, musing. "'In fact, I was just wondering, didn't you say you would be looking for work soon?' Melanie nodded, not realizing the direction of the other's thoughts. "'Yes, I need to be independent from my sister as soon as I can,' she flushed. "'Amy has a boyfriend, and they're serious. She wants him to move in, but, well, um, now that I have sight, it would be difficult with me there.' The old lady faced her directly. "'I don't suppose you could consider—' a temporary position, as a, well, fairly low, but nevertheless paid companion. They looked at each other, a sense of excitement welling in both. My dear, it would be wonderful if you could move in with me, just for a while, perhaps, until I have to give up my independence for good. She looked up as the ferry came into view. Come back with me, and you can see what you think. Melanie felt yet another flush of joy, the last of her needs vanishing. Oh, thank you. Yes, I would like that. They walked down the gangplank arm in arm, an old lady in the downward path of life, and the young girl on the threshold of living. Strangers, but for one thing in common. You have been listening to Something in Common, written and read by Brianda Cross. We hope you have enjoyed this story, and if so, please consider tuning in to fastfictionpodcast.com, where we have a good many other stories for your enjoyment. Thank you. Mm-hmm.